Thank you, Katie and Derek. I have two really important announcements uh, to make before we miss, dismiss Bridge Kids. Uh, first of all, I got a brand new sweatshirt. And um, it's a Team World Vision sweatshirt. Some of you can't tell that. And I, I wore it for the very first time today. And so I decided to wear it all day because it's really comfortable. And the second really important announcement is I've been informed that we need eight more men for our softball team. So see what you can do about that. Bridge kids. No bridge kids. I'm sorry. Okay, kids, this is going to be a good sermon. Um, Last Sunday, April 24th, was the Rochester Regional Health Flower City Challenge. Can you say that with me? Rochester Regional Health Flower City Challenge. In Rochester, New York, 12-year-old Lee Rodriguez Espada was running a little bit behind that morning. She had registered for the 5K race, and uh, just when she arrived at the starting line, the guns sounded and everybody took off. She had trained for over two months for this race. She expected to improve her time, which was somewhere around 45 minutes for the 5K. Uh, After running for some time, mile after mile after mile, she wondered where the finish line was. And uh, so she asked a fellow runner why they had not finished the 5K, and that's when she learned her problem was that she was running a half marathon. So Lee Rodriguez Espada had a decision to make whether or not she would finish this race. Meanwhile, her mother was expecting her to finish in about 45 minutes. And about 60 minutes, her daughter had not finished. An hour and a half went by, and her daughter wasn't there. An hour 45 went by, and Lee had not arrived. Now, mom is a little concerned. In fact, she's panicky. And uh, she begins to cry, and people call the police, and the police start looking for her little girl. Eventually, sixth grade Lee Rodriguez Espada was spotted, and when she was asked about quitting, she said, nope, I'm going to finish this race. Finally, at two hours and 43 minutes, she crossed the finish line. She was a half marathon finisher. She got a nice finisher's medal to wear around her neck. And here's how the story was on ABC News. She actually planned last weekend. Uh, She is Lee Adianas Rodriguez Espada. Thankfully, they call her Lee. (laughs) (laughs) Lee was supposed to run a five-kilometer race in Rochester, New York on Sunday, but... She was a little late getting there, so she started with the first group of runners that she saw. Then she kept running and running and running. Two hours, 43 minutes later, she crossed the half marathon finish line, and she came home with a finisher's medal to prove it. Congratulations to her. I think the only time I'm going to accidentally run a half marathon is if I try to run a full. Exactly. Well, Jack tried to run a full marathon last year, but didn't. No? Yeah, made it. Okay. So the, the point is, make sure that you start the right race tomorrow. 
We're going to read our passage together. Tonight we're, in a, we're taking a break from the book of Acts. We're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. This is one of the running passages. We've looked at it at different times in different ways. But I'm going to make a short focus here tonight on this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 24 through 27. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So the Apostle Paul was a pretty smart guy, and uh, he knew if he was going to communicate truth, abstract spiritual truth, it was important to know his audience, and so therefore he often used athletic metaphors to illustrate his point. In the Greek city of Corinth, where the Corinthian church was, the Isthmian games were held every two years. The Olympic Games were held at this time as well, and they were held every four years in Athens. Athletes, to to compete in these games, had to commit in front of judges that they would uh, train for 10 months of the year. They didn't have to be in Corinth to do that. They could be from around uh, the Mediterranean area. And then... Uh, They also, after the 10 months, they had to commit to, right before the games, they had to commit to 30 days in Corinth at the gymnasium, which was maybe a little bit different than our gymnasium, but they had to be on site. And there were 10 judges that kept track of the rules, and anyone who did not follow the rules could be disqualified and even fined. So that's a bit of the background when Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 9. And here's the first thing. You can follow along on your outline in your program. The first thing we see in 24 is remember to be clear about the finish line. Remember to be clear about the finish line. uh, Make sure you know the race you've entered, okay? You want to get to the right finish line in the right race. A on your outline is running a race is a metaphor for the Christian life. It's maybe pretty obvious. Paul says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So Paul's audience in Corinth understood this concept. It was like a no-brainer. It was self-evident. They understood the games. The goal was to get the prize. The goal was not to finish the race. The goal was to win in our culture, we're just a little more gracious. We uh, re- reward and applaud the finisher, but they didn't do that in Corinth in the first century. And Paul uses this running metaphor now for the Christian life. And we see in 24, it's essential to know your purpose and goal for finishing the race. It's essential to know your purpose and goal. He says in verse 24, Run in such a way as to get the prize. 
Paul now is going to shift uh, from the run to the Christian life. He knows that the Corinthian church is not running in the Isthmian games. And, but when, when you talk about an athlete in Corinth, everyone admired the athletes. They were clear, focused on their purpose. They knew why they competed. They were totally devoted to their task. They would train hard. They would work hard. They would compete with all their heart. So, uh, what is this prize? What is this prize that run in such a way as to get the prize? What's the prize for us? Uh, what is the prize for the Christian life? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. We got 2 Timothy. Apostle Paul writes, this is toward the end of Paul's life. And um, Paul was in prison, well, several times, but he was in Rome uh, a couple of times. And this is at the end of his life. And, and death is near. He said, I have fought the good fight. There's that athletic metaphor. It's like the boxing or wrestling. Then he says, I have finished the race. So there he makes, the, he makes the metaphor to running. He said, I have kept the faith. He's talking about the Christian life. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. That's a prize. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also those, all those who have longed for his appearing. The crown of righteousness. And Paul is expecting to meet Jesus one day at the end of the race, at the end of his life. And he's going to stand before Jesus. And just like at the games, the winner got the prize. Paul knew who the judge was. And he knew what the prize was. And he was focused. Now, one of the cool things about us running the race in the Christian life is there's more than one winner. We all win when we run well. There's another picture in Matthew 25, verse 23. And this is uh, from the parable of the talents. This is a a parable about stewardship. It's a parable about um, a master giving his... uh, servant responsibility and stuff to manage and stewardship is about taking care of our lives uh, our responsibilities the stuff that God material things money that God entrusts to us and so um, the master leaves and comes back and now there's an accounting for the servant and this is one of the servants and his master replied well done good and faithful servant You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. This was a story that Jesus used to teach spiritual truth. Jesus was going to go away. He's the master. Jesus is coming back. And one day, his servants, those who follow Jesus, will meet him face to face. And... For the faithful servant, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's a prize in running the race. Um, What will he say to you? You know, every once in a while, 
I think we should just think about this. How are we doing? When I stand before Jesus, what will that be like? I want it to be a good experience. And, if, and let's, let me remind you, this is, not about, this is about someone who's placed their faith in Christ. And yes, we have ups and downs in life. Every believer is going to be there. This isn't about getting disqualified to go to heaven. If you've placed your faith in Christ and your sins are forgiven, you're going to go to heaven and you're going to, be, you're going to meet Jesus. But even then, I want it to be a good experience. In verse 25, secondly, remember that running a race well requires focused training. And serious athletes uh, commit to intense training. And I think some of you are just coming off some at least focused training. And some of you, it's been pretty intense. It's been a big challenge. Um, You've probably surprised yourself at times on how well you've done. Serious athletes commit to intense training. This, too, was self-evident for the Corinthians. They observed athletes on many occasions training in their city. These athletes were physical specimens. They were highly highly disciplined. They were devoted to their sport. And and if uh, they had not committed the 10 months of training beforehand, they were disqualified. Uh, If they did not come to Corinth and train in the gymnasium for 30 days... They were disqualified. They had strict diets, scheduled rest. They restrained from certain foods and certain drinks, and they practiced abstinence. You may not want to have been an athlete. I don't know. Serious Christ followers, in verse 25, commit to regular spiritual disciplines, just like A serious athlete commits to strict training. The point Paul is making here, serious Christ followers commit to regular spiritual disciplines. Look at verse 25. They do it to get a crown. That is, the athletes that will not last, but we, Christ followers, do it to get a crown that will last forever. The athletes who won at the Isthmian Games got a crown made of... Pine branches. Yay, got my pine branch. Some of them were made of celery. How long is that going to last? Or flowers. Uh, They tended to fade quickly. Now they got got a lot of notoriety. Um, Their their community was represented well. Um, There were heroes locally there. But it was still temporary. It faded. Christ followers get a crown that will last forever. Revelation 2.10 calls it the crown of life. But the important thing is to, be, is to know and to be reminded is that we too should train ourselves like serious athletes. We have more at stake and we have more to gain. And one of my favorite passages is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And Paul writes... To Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Now, you know, being an old-time former athlete in my younger years, I loved training. And, you know, just get it. So when you bring it to the spiritual life, it just makes sense. Train yourself. You've got to do that. Nobody else can do it. It's not the it's not uh, your small group leader's job or the pastor's job to train you. you there's, some, there's a part you take. You train yourself. You engage. 
You commit time and effort to your own spiritual growth. Now, the great thing is we have the church. We don't do it isolated. But there's a part that you have to play. Physical training is of some value, like the great athletes in Corinth. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. You become more like Jesus. It has a big impact on your life now, your relationship with people, your family, your marriage. As you grow spiritually, it has a big impact on you. But it also is an eternal investment when one day you stand before Jesus and you'll get it. It'll make sense. You'll see the building of your life and what it meant to God. So train yourself to be like Jesus. What were some of Jesus' method for training himself? If we're to become like Jesus, what did he do? Well, when you think about it, Jesus studied God's Word. Sometimes people think that Jesus just came wired with God's Word in his head. No. He learned it just like every child. He memorized Scripture. He studied Scripture. He read Scripture. And so, uh, you know, memorizing Scripture. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, what did he do? He quoted Scripture that was applicable. He knew. He learned it. He knew how to use it. This was the right time. It was powerful. When Jesus encountered the religious leaders, what did he do? He quoted scripture. He was interacting with them. He understood the times. He understood their view of religion. And he applied the scripture right on the spot. He wasn't just, you know, like programmed to speak like a robot. He was a thinker. Uh, Jesus prayed. He had a pattern of prayer, so much so that eventually disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. We get it. You're doing it. What is it? Tell us how to do this. Teach us to pray. Jesus fasted. He he took time where he didn't take food, and he had a spiritual purpose behind it. What's that about? It was a discipline. He he wanted uh, to have his life be more than just what he needed He wanted to depend on God, not just physical things. Jesus practiced time alone with God. And these were some of the things that he did. These were some of his spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines, if you practice them, will benefit you. They will make you stronger. They will make you healthier. Uh, They will help you be spiritually fit and ultimately to be more like Jesus. And one of the two other key things that Jesus did that were really important in there, we can call them spiritual disciplines. One is serving. Jesus was a servant. He instructed his disciples to be servants and not like everybody else. Because being a servant causes us to be humble and we're reminded that we're not better than other people and that we're all just sinners we all come to God in the same way. And Jesus wants his followers to be humble. And the other thing that Jesus practiced and he was really good at was obedience. That's a discipline. Jesus came to do his Father's will. Not his own, his Father's will. He submitted to the Father for obedience. And you know, that kind of a decision can be 
I'm, I want Jesus to be Lord, so I'm his servant, and all I just need to know is what does he want me to do? I don't have to stop and think, well, am I going to obey this time or not? Sorry about that. <laughs> At least you came back, see? But um, it's, a, it's a decision. If he's Lord and I'm the servant, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to serve him. Um, so here's a couple of practical questions. Number one, what are your current spiritual disciplines? What are you doing right now, this past week, to help you grow spiritually? And good things are like being in groups and coming to church and hearing God's word. Those are good. Praying is good. Studying the Bible for yourself is good. Uh, what are you doing? Memorizing Scripture is awesome. Serving is awesome. What are you doing? What are your current spiritual disciplines? Second question is, are you currently satisfied with your personal spiritual growth? Are you happy where you are? If we put up a 1 to 10, 0 to 10, in your own mind, where would you place yourself? If you're a six, what, did you, what would you do to get to a seven by next year? Keep moving. Don't stagnate. Third question is, what are one or two things you could do to sharpen your focus on spiritual growth? It just comes back to what can you do to improve your own spiritual training? We don't need legalism. We don't need everybody telling us what to do. You have a free will. You have the Bible. You can ask people around to help you or help you be accountable. You don't need anybody putting rules on you that you have to keep. Although God has a few in the New Testament that are pretty important. Okay, last, uh, last section here, verses 26 and 27. Remember that your race has eternal outcomes. Remember your race has eternal outcomes. Verse 26, serious runners run with purpose. Paul says, therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Now when he's talking about, he's not talking about shadow boxing, so he's kind of warming up. He's talking about being in a, in competition where the boxer just keeps missing his target. Uh, I don't run aimlessly. Runners have goals. Uh, why are you running, those of you who are running tomorrow? Are you, it might be you're running for your health. You might want to improve your speed. You may be trying to improve your strength, your, your endurance. Um, you may be running just purely because you want to provide clean water in Africa. Those are all good reasons. Serious runners run with a purpose. And Paul's point here is, in his life, he wants to be very intentional about his life, his race. He wants to be focused, and he knows he is about making disciples. That's why he exists. That's why he's in the race. That's why the church is in the race, by the way. Just go back and look at verse 23. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. It's about advancing the kingdom of God. It's about advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Um, in, the, in the previous verses, 19 through 23, Paul just talks about, 
I want to reach people. Uh, I want to win as many as possible. And I'm willing to adjust. I'm willing to put my own uh, uh, desires below serving people to reach them for Christ. Uh, Verse 27, serious Christ followers practice self-discipline and follow rules of the race to finish well. It's our last verse. Paul says, nope, I strike a blow to my body. I buffet my body, not buffet, buffet my body, but I, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So the Apostle Paul clearly understood self-leadership. If he couldn't lead his own life, how could he lead others? Um, He understood that he must lead himself well before he leads others. He understood he must lead himself well so that he would be a person of integrity. And people uh, who were considering the claims of the gospel could get a picture of what Christ is like and what Christ desired rather than a sham rather than somebody being in it with ulterior motives, that Paul was the real deal. He didn't want to be disqualified um, after preaching to others. Being disqualified here is definitely not losing salvation. That's not the subject at all. It's just being disqualified from having a valid message where people don't want to listen because your life is... You're a hypocrite. Um, So... Paul wants to make his body a slave. Uh, He understood that he must submit his own body to the lordship of Christ. His body must be Christ's servant. His body must be not be his master. And this may be one of the most important things you can take away today. His body is not his master. Um. Your body ought not be your master. There's probably nobody in the room that would say that they believe that. How you feel should not be your master. Your emotions should not rule your life. They're important. They tell you a lot of information about your world and your perspective and your circumstances. They must not rule. Your stomach is not your master. This was a real issue in the first century. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, the problem that some people had that Paul dealt with is their God was their stomach. Their stomach was sending information that was leading their decision-making. Food is not to be your master. Comfort food is not to be your master. How you look in the mirror is not to be your master. Sexual lust is not to be your master. The Apostle Paul said he wanted to bring his body into submission to the Lordship of Christ. We just call that self-control, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus is the master. He's the one who died for us. Jesus is the one who gave his body for our body. And when we understand that, we can present our body back to him as a gift. We dedicate ourselves to him, and Jesus 
gives us strength and lives through us. One of my favorite passages tonight, I have a lot of favorite passages, is Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. And I love this one because this is a, it's about the church. And we're, and we're talking about um, rules. We play by the rules. We compete by the rules. And we, the Bible gives us rules, but here's, here's a good standard. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves, church, body of Christ. And this is especially cool. We just added 13 new members tonight to the body. As we conduct ourselves, as we live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the standard. We're not perfect. None of us will ever be perfect, but we have a standard. We want to live in a way that honors the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you, Paul says, in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as for one faith of the gospel. See, that, that's what God wants in the church as a team, that we strive together. We, it's not one or two standout people with great gifts that do all the great things in the church and lead people to Christ, but we, we do this as a team. When people serve, uh, when people serve in the nursery, when people serve... Uh, in the lobby, when people serve on the worship team, when people serve on our tech team, we're all we're working together to, to advance God's kingdom. And, and the rules here are, the standard is our conduct should be worthy of the gospel of Christ. One of my other favorite verses is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, and this is about workouts. You all have been working out, Right? Paul writes, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out. There it is, work out. Work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that humility, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. When you place your faith in Christ, God gave you the gift of salvation. He gave it to you. It's, it's in you. It includes the Holy Spirit. It includes all uh, maybe 33 different things that are, are your salvation. As you obey Christ, as you submit to his lordship, then this salvation is displayed. This Christ-like life is displayed. Work it out so that other people can see it. Humbly do it with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, God working in you, to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's an exciting time when you know God is working in you for his good pleasure. Um, So running in a race is about taking steps, right? And working out your salvation is just a picture of step by step, one day at a time. And what I like about this passage The way I get this, this is a promise. Work out. It means I just can't sit back. I can't be passive. I can't wait till I feel like doing something. But I need to engage in my life. Work out. I need to do. Uh, I'm not talking about working for salvation. I'm just, I, I have to find ways to obey, to engage. Now, here's what I love about this passage. If I will engage with something God wants me to do, even when it's hard, because sometimes it is, we do it by faith, 
God is at work in me to will and to work for his salvation. So as I take that step of faith, then I engage God. However, if I'm passive and I'm sit back, what is God going to do? He's going to sit back. He's not going to help me because he wants me to follow, to take steps, to engage. Last passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Apostle Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly, outwardly we are wasting away. It's true. I know that more than most of you. Um, I ain't what I used to be. I can't throw a ball anymore. I can't play football. I can't play basketball. I can't feel the ground ball. I can't even run. I'm wasting away. But the good news is God hasn't finished. And God is still at work. He's still changing me. He's still helping me to be more like Jesus. And you don't have to stop at any age to grow. Um, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. That's an interesting way to talk about problems, isn't it? Y'all got problems? Some of you are in some really difficult circumstances. I know it. From time to time, we've seen in our home some rough circumstances. And Paul, he's just going to put them on a balance here. Current problems, let's list them all. Some of them are really, really difficult. Okay, here they are. Let's weigh them. Now, over here is the eternal weight of glory. What's going to happen? The eternal weight of glory way overpasses any problems that we deal with. Now, it doesn't feel like that today. But we have the hope of glory. We have the future. We know the future. And that's why we live by faith. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen. We're going to live by faith. But on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, you know, like a crown of pine cones or celery or something. What is is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we need to live by faith, run for God and with God as we choose to trust him. And I'm encouraged that the eternal weight of glory waiting for us far outweighs any difficulty we have. Quick review. Remember to be clear about your finish line. You are running your, uh, are you running your life for self or for God's priorities? And when you get to the end of the race and you finish, how is Jesus going to assess your race? Secondly, remember that running the race will require focused training. So um, if you're going to do this well, You're going to have to do some serious spiritual training that relates to things like prayer and God's word. Thirdly, remember that your race has eternal outcomes. The Apostle Paul was clear about what he was striving for, his purpose. He knew that eternity was at stake for thousands of people. If he got disqualified, there might not be thousands of people who would have come to faith in the New Testament world. Not only that, if you remember, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. There were people watching Paul's life and following him. 
and the potential for Paul to lead thousands of people to Christ and plant churches. And there were people following him who would do the same thing, walk with Christ, share the gospel, and lead thousands of people to Christ. The impact is enormous. The outcomes are enormous when we live for him. If he stayed the course, he knew more and more people would come to faith. And if he got disqualified, his life would be a waste. So when you think about your walk with Christ, who will you impact in the days ahead? People in your family, people at your workplace, people at your school. Who are you going to impact? Who's watching you? And that last question is that who's following you? Mom and dad, you, you have kids. Are they following you? Are they watching you? Are they learning from you? Do you have friends that are following you and they're seeing how, how to do this thing? How do you live? How do you follow Christ? Are they getting an example that is very helpful and clear or is it confusing to them? Okay. Here's what I want to do to close our service. I want to invite all of you who are with Team World Vision to come up and I want to pray for you and pray for your race tomorrow. So if you're participating in Team World Vision, please come up and I want to pray. Thank you for all your hard work. Thank you for taking a risk. It's kind of risky asking people to help you financially sometimes, isn't it? And now, church, let's all stand with them. And let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for Team World Vision. I thank you for all these people who are standing here uh, who've committed to uh, running a race tomorrow because they want to help children in Africa to have clean water for a lifetime. Thank you for their courage to train. I thank you for their courage to ask uh, friends uh, and and family members uh, to support them financially so that we can all be a part of a solution to provide clean water. And I pray, Father, that you will continue to provide financially for uh, their goal. And I pray tonight that you'll give them rest and um, that you'll enable them to participate tomorrow, to run, to walk, um, to remain healthy, and to finish well. May it be a joy when they cross the finish line. Father, I pray that there might be impact in Africa from this effort as uh, Team World Vision is able to uh, provide more clean water and um, as they do good deeds in Africa, that goodwill will be created and that the good news may be shared and that people will respond to your love by placing their faith in Jesus in due time. And um, God, you can achieve those results. And we commit them to you, and I commit our team to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.